Greetings and welcome to Go Into All the World with your host, Gary Griffinhagen. Gary has a new website, GaryGriffinhagen.com. His website includes a blog with short teachings and a link for giving to support Go Into All the World. Now here's Gary. Well, last week I left off in the middle of a paragraph. Uh, I want to revisit that paragraph and thank you for joining me today. And I want to so speak, talk about it for a few minutes because I think it contains what I would call some really vital information to help us that are walking with the Lord. All right, so it starts out that many Christians do not understand the purpose of the law. They kind of try to reuse the law to the detriment of many of the body in Christ. And I'm going to make a quote from Discipling Through Romans by Don Crow and Andrew Womack. And here's their quote. Failure to understand this truth has led many well-being religious people to try and get others to stop sinning through the proclamation of God's laws and God's punishment for sin. The law wasn't given for that purpose, and my own words, and will never be effective for it. Back to the quote, according to these and other verses, sin actually revives and gains an occasion against us when the law is used. The right use of the law is to give a knowledge of sin, Romans 3.19, and convince us that we are doomed without a Savior. The law is powerless to overcome sin. Well, I want to look at some of the statements there. I think it's a very profound statement, and that's why I quoted it directly. But let's look at some of those statements and kind of analyze them. Number one, or the first point, well-meaning religious leaders try to get others to stop sinning through the proclamation of the law and punishments. Well, to me, this is very unfortunate and very short-sighted. Proclaiming the law, again, will not stop sinning. Not at all, okay? The law was given again to show us our need, okay, not to help or make us stop sinning. And as I'll show in the next paragraph, what will help us stop sinning is to become aware of who we are in Christ. What is our identity? Who are we really spiritually, okay? Not who we, so to speak, in the past, not who we're supposed to speak in our natural self, but who we are now spiritually. Um, The Bible says, we've been reading some of these in Romans, it said we're dead to sin, Sin has no more hold on us. The power that once held us is broken and taken away by Jesus' death and resurrection. Our old nature is gone. All right, point number two. Proclaiming the punishment for sin will help believers stop. Well, there might be some merit to that, but there's also a lot of problems. So if a believer feels threatened, like I'm doing this or I'm doing that, and gee, if I continue to drink or I look somebody else's wife or da-da-da-da-da or I steal or something like that, if they have enough self-control, if he or she does, that, that can be useful, obviously. But remember, not all believers can and not all believers will, all right? So what's happened when we proclaim the punishments and kind of focus on that? Well, guess what? These people are kind of left hanging again, and they may think, wow, punishment, ooh, I'm falling short. Uh, Gee, um, a lot of them, oh, a lot of us may, we want to kind of resort to running from God. So here we run from God, who's the very source of our help, the very source of who we need to run to, but because we're scared or we don't quite understand or we feel condemned and maybe the devil throws in there, God doesn't love you anymore, or you're falling short, or you're no good, then we turn away from God, okay? And that brings serious problems, all right? So again, I just kind of make my own statement here. It says if a believer falls short and the devil brings up punishment and twists and turns it in our minds or souls, the believers even, or so to speak, the believers now more trouble, okay, than before. And guess what sets in? Fear and torment. 
Now, if fear and torment set in, then we'd have a, uh, you know, even a mega-serious problem. So we've had a serious problem, now it's mega-serious. And what happens to many believers? They cave in, they give up. Maybe they stop walking for a little while. Maybe they stop walking totally. Or maybe they just have a bad two, three, four weeks or a month or something like that. And I remember back when Joyce Meyer said, it used to take me two months to get over a sin. Now it takes me two seconds or two, if you want to call it, two minutes. Because you know the love of God and it floods your soul and the promises flood your soul. And you're not focused on your own sin. You're not so sin conscious. Hey, Jesus died for me. He took away. God says, I'll never ever, you know, okay, I'll, I'll forget your sins. I'll never ever. I'll throw them from east to west. In other words, things like that come up. But that's for a mature believer. So again, if we start preaching, if you want to call it punishments, I don't think it's a real good way, okay, of, so to speak, taking people out of sin. Let's see if we can come up a much better way. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Well, point number three, sin actually revives when it is preached. Again, sin revives. Sin comes alive when it's preached. <clears throat> so well-meaning but misguided leaders will actually strengthen that which they want to suppress. The more that we talk about sin, the more we talk, you can't, you can't, you can't. We're giving strength to that issue, and guess what? Somebody did an informal survey, and they kind of found out that teachers, I'm sorry, that churches and people that preach and teach about the law all the time, they seem to have more areas or problems in that area than people that don't talk about it. And again, it's because they're strengthening that area. They're strengthening the sin, and they're, become, they're making all of us, or all believers, if you would, or believers that they're touching, more sin conscious, all right? Okay, let's go back to this comment that I made. What can we talk about better? Or how can we show what our identity is? And for some of you that listen to programs, I've talked about it a number of times, but let me give you my, my whole paragraph here. In my words, well-meaning pastors and teachers that, that preach adherence to the law and threaten punishments, okay, they, are, so to speak, have many issues, and they're not actually, if you want to call it, aiming for the highest and the best point. To me, they kind of browbeat believers, and to me, browbeating them or forcing them to adhere to the law or something like that or focusing so much on adherence to the law, it really does hurt believers. Um, again, let's think if we talk about the other point. My other point here is that we publicize our freedom and identity in Christ. And again, as I mentioned in many programs, believers who knew their spiritual identity often overcome sin by this knowledge. They don't just stop sinning because they went to a 12-step or something else. They just have this knowledge. It overtakes them. Here's a couple examples. And I've referenced, okay, some from testimonies from Joseph Prince, uh, Andrew Womack, so those two ministries, and other ministries. And here's the, here's the examples. People were caught up in a sin, often pornography or drugs or alcohol. But while they were still doing these things, they kept on saying they, or he or she, if you would, was the righteousness of God in Christ. So again, they still kept sinning. They didn't just like walk away from it, which we obviously would like. But as they began to say who they were in Christ, one day, one day, one day, that identity caught up with them, and they looked at the drugs, maybe even right in the middle of doing them. They looked at the porn, and again, somewhere right in the middle of doing them, and they just walked away. Why did they walk away? Well, their spiritual identity, who I am in Christ, catches up with them and allows them to look that in the face. They're dead to sin, all these things that would normally focus them on it. They're dead to that stuff, and if they begin to walk in this new man, what does it say? It says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So these people began to walk in the Spirit, and they didn't need these lusts of the flesh, or they didn't need to pull, or they were, over, they were able to overcome the pull or walk away from it. 
So again, I really want to encourage you to think about that because I think it's the way that right now, I think it's the way that God wants to go. I think he's trying to show people, look, you need to know who you are in Christ and walk in that identity, not a bunch of set of rules and things like that. Well, let me give you one similar testimony. I think it was, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's through Andrew Walmack Ministries. He's doing a series on Galatians. And here's, here's kind of a summary of what was said. A man addicted to smoking was told by his pastor to keep lighting up, keep going. But each time you light up, say that you are the righteousness of God in Christ or something like that. Again, each time you light up, lighting up is okay per se if you're going to do it, but as you light up, quote the scripture or quote some scripture like that. Okay, The man kept smoking. Of course, they felt badly for doing so, just like those people caught up in porn and alcohol and stuff. They don't feel good about doing it. They're just snared. You know, the Bible says if a believer is snared in a sin, we're supposed to gently restore them. So we as believers can be snared in a sin. All right? We can be snared, but God wants to get us out of that. All right? We don't need to be browbeaten, condemned, da-da-da-da-da. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all possibly or probably been caught up in things. So we can't say we're better than others or they could only do it with willpower or something like that. But if they understand who they are, all right, they have the ability to walk away spiritually, not some, again, 12-step program or something like that. Well, anyways, this man kept smoking, again, feeling badly, but he also faithfully quoted the Scripture. Well, one day, I believe it was after about a month and a half or so, he lit up a cigarette, but for some reason he had to run to the restroom or get some food or something out of the kitchen. Well, as he came back to that cigarette, he looked at it and thought, you know what? I know who I am in Christ. I've been saying it. I've been believing it. I've been thinking it, okay? And maybe he's been studying the Word. I don't necessarily know that. But anyways, he looked down and he said, I don't need this cigarette. He put the cigarette out. He threw out his cigarettes. And a year and a half later, he's still not going back to smoking at all. So to me, that's a wonderful example of how, as we know who we are spiritually, we begin to walk in that. We're going to have power to overcome sin. And again, a lot of the scriptures in Romans 6 and 7 are talking about that. Um, I might add again, for, for some of you, you probably maybe know this if you're a believer and have some understanding that, remember, we're spiritual beings. So our spirit, which was once dead, as it says in Ephesians, is now alive unto God. And that spirit, man, okay, produces love, joy, and peace, and all the fruit of the spirit. It should be the thing that's light leading or guiding us and kind of, if you want to call it, changing us. Ideally, it would dominate us, but if we're not quite there yet, we want it to change us, okay? and allow it to kind of take over our lives. So we have love, joy, peace, temperance, and all those things, and we can resist some of these things that come against us. Well, today I want to, I want to take a little uh, side trip here. I want to go over to Galatians, because there's four or five verses to me that kind of epitomize, or kind of, if you want to say it, say the same thing that we've been studying. I'll start with Galatians 3.19. It reads, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added by transgression or because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So again, why was the law added? Was the law added to make us speak perfect? No. It says the law was added because of transgressions. Okay? All right. Next one, Galatians 3.20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but for God, for God is one. And again, I want to kind of digress, excuse me for a second, back to 3.20. When we say that it was added because of transgressions, I want to say it shows us or it showed people 
how far off they were and how far off they were these standards. They might keep a few of these once in a while or maybe some 9 out of 10, but they couldn't keep them perfectly, and they knew they had a problem. All right. Well, let's go on to Galatians 3.21. It says, Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have, so to speak, given life, truly righteous then righteousness, excuse me, would have been by the law. This scripture shows that we cannot be saved, okay, by keeping the law. And if we can't be saved by keeping the law, why would so many churches talk about it? Now, I, I, I can see some point in talking about the law in the sense that, gee, here's some standards that you Christians want to live holy and stuff like that. Here's some standards, okay? Da 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 da. You shouldn't do this. You take the Lord's name in vain, and whatever you want to, whatever part of the law you want to, so to speak, or parts of different laws. But those are just to help you live holy, not force you to live in a box, not force you to do this or die, force you to live this, and maybe you're not saved, or force you to do that. None of us can keep the law perfectly. All right. So again, listening to some of the principles of the law and trying to not committing adultery, not lying and stealing, that's fine. Okay. But again, making it beyond that or making it some kind of have to, then we're in, a, so to speak, a problem. All right, Galatians 3.22. To me, this is a very powerful thing and gives us a lot of comfort and hope. But the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all who believe. Most believers know what the Scripture says, that all people are sinners that have fallen short, and the hope we have is in Jesus believing on him. So again, everybody's confined under sin, but what? There was a promise, a promise of faith in Christ, a promise that would come by faith, all right? So that promise comes to all of us who believe. So going back to the point, we're all kind of in this pot of sinning before we're saved. We're in this big group or whatever you want to call it, or one country or, or one continent or something like that. We come out of it, okay, because of the promise, okay, in Jesus Christ. So let's think about that. We know that we're confined under sin, or so to speak, all people are. But we also know, okay, that we come out of that. And let's look at Galatians 3, I'm sorry, 3.23 and 3.24, and it'll explain a little bit more of this point. It said, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. To me, these scriptures emphasize what's been said all along. Believers are kept under guard. They're kept under the law, all right, or they were if you would, or maybe they're kept under the law now until they recognize what? That a Savior has come, all right? They recognize, oh, I've got a way out. I can be justified by faith. This tutor, instead of, if you want to call, forcing us to live a certain way, was to show me my need and bring us to Christ. Once I come to Christ, I'm free of the tutor and the laws. Do I want to go out and intentionally break a law? Again, we've said that. No, of course not. All right? But we're not, if you want to call it, forced to live by the law with that being in our, our, our outcome or our expectation or trying to, so to speak, live by the law so we can quite either force God or ask God to do something because we're being so righteous by living by the law. He said, no, the law was keeping you, keeping you as a tutor or a schoolmaster or kind of keeping you enclosed until faith came. But once faith comes, remember the Bible says we're also, we are dead to the law. All right. Okay, verse uh, Galatians 3.25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under tutor. Well, think about that for a minute. 
after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. And that's why we say we're dead to the law. We're dead to the, if you want to call it sin and those kind of things, because we're free from that. We're now, so to speak, in Christ. We're different people. We've been born again. Our spirit, which was dead, is now alive. All right. Well, let's look back again a little bit more here at 325. And again, I said, this is who we are after faith has come. So Jesus has died. Okay, we can receive them. After faith has come, we again are not under the law. We're free from it. So if a church introduces, or sorry, reintroduces the law for any purpose apart from that listed above to show us our need, this to me is a very dangerous and a very unbiblical position. And I think, and I would really emphasize that if you're a new believer or you just you've been saved for a lot of years and that, I really encourage you to look at these verses in Galatians. Again, this is Galatians three, roughly verses nineteen through twenty-five. And also find some of the scriptures we've been reading in Romans because they'll help set you free from this law thing. And they'll help you to see, do I have some laws in my own life? I gave an example once recently that if I make a law, okay, I've got to read 20 minutes a day. And if I don't read 20 minutes, okay, then I have a problem, all right? What's the problem? Well, I didn't read it. Uh, uh, maybe I skipped it. Maybe I was busy. Maybe I was tired, whatever. But if I make it a law, then Satan can come in and start trying to condemn me or shame me or even my own mind. Oh, Gary, you fell short. Oh, Gary, you fell short again. You missed three days in a row or something like that. All right? So, again, we don't want to make those kind of laws in our own life. All right? <clears throat> okay. Let's go now to uh, maybe a couple, I'm going to say a couple experiences that I've had. Okay? And I want to preface that with one of the things is I began to do this a series on the epistles. You know, I kind of transitioned from talking mainly about evangelism and, you know, some of the doctrines of other faiths and things like that. I wanted to get in the epistles. One thing I noticed that the biggest sin, the biggest problem, if you would, not necessarily the biggest sin, but the biggest problem with the churches back in Paul's time when they were writing the epistles and things like that were false believers or false teachers. They're preaching and using false doctrine. And that began to, so to speak, cause a lot of problems and divisions, especially, quote, Judaizers who try to force people to be circumcised. Well, and to my mind, that's still a problem today. In fact, if you listen to some of the grace teachers on TV, and they, you know, 40, 50 years ago there was few, now there's a whole bunch, they still realize that a lot of church people don't accept grace or maybe they accept it to a certain degree. Well, I can be saved by grace, but then I have to kind of keep a bunch of rules or do this or do that. And, ooh, gee, maybe I'll fall back in my salvation or I'm, I'm less or something like that. Well, again, those things are not true, but that's what a lot of churches preach, okay? Well, here's my recent experiences, all right? I teach a class or have been teaching a class at the church I enter, New Creation Church in Sandy, Utah. It's a foundations class. It's a, the book is written by Beth Jones, and I kind of take that book and kind of modify it a little bit. It has a bunch of scriptures. But anyways, it, it kind of expresses who we are as a beginning, you know, how to walk with God, how to talk with God, how to pray, and things like that. Um, well, one of the members, okay, and it was about eight or nine regular members and two or three that would come sometime. One of the members that had been there for quite a while all of a sudden started preaching, we have to keep the law. Well, I was a little concerned about this gentleman in the first place because, to me, he was being a little deceptive or something. Because I asked him a number of times, what's your faith background? Did you grow up LDS? Did you grow up this? Are you Christian for a long time? What's going on in your life? And 
the other eight or so speak, eight to ten people, I either knew them or they would tell me up front what their background was. Because there's a teacher that gives you a little idea who you're talking to and where they're coming from. Well, this particular man would not talk about his faith background. All right. So right away, I see a red flag or something inside me going off a little bit. Well, as he began to say, we need to keep the law. Fortunately, he didn't say it too loud. He was kind of just saying it to me so others couldn't hear it or maybe kind of say it in the side. But I thought, well, that's not good. You're saying something that obviously here we are in Romans. Okay, we know it's not true. We've been reading it's not true. We want to continue to read it and we want to continue to understand it. So we're not going to be so speak taken back and put under the law, or we, gee, you're saved, now you still got to keep the law, kind of like what the Judaizers did. Gee, you're saved, but you still got to be circumcised or something like that. Well, anyways, I gave him some scriptures over maybe a few weeks, and he would think about them for a little bit, but that would make him stop. He kept going. Well, he was pretty insistent, but finally I gave him some scriptures from Colossians, and I can remember that day he just kind of looked at those. He read two or three of them, um, and he kind of looked at those and went, hmm, and I could see he's thinking, well, he heard those scriptures. At the end of that class, he left, and he never returned, all right? So I was feeling good that I showed him something. Now, whether he received it or not, I don't know. But my job is to protect the flock. I'm the, I'm the shepherd. I'm the person teaching this class. I need to protect them, all right, from things like this because it might put false doctrine or teaching in their mind. Well, one of the other persons in this class was actually a class the following year, he kind of said on the side, you know, believers can lose their salvation. And I said, no, believers can't lose their salvation. Well, he kind of argued with me and poopawed it and said, you know, I think you're wrong. Okay, and he had two or three big Bibles and books, and I think he was going to try to prove his point. Well, I told him, listen, we, we can't talk about it now. I have some Christians that are, to me, a younger group of Christians, or some of the people in class are younger, and I don't want to hear this particular topic, all right? We'll talk about it another time. We'll talk about it after class. Well, he kept persisting. Then he started calling me some names on the side. It actually was not a very good site. Well, finally, I said, listen, I've asked you not to repeat it. You keep repeating it. Uh, we need you to leave. I talked with the director, and he said, yes, you definitely need him to leave. And we offered to sit down with him in a couple of weeks where we could talk on the side. But we couldn't have him, if you want to say, contradicting everything and, oh, so to speak, maybe just bringing a downer, but we know if you start teaching this stuff, it's more than a downer. It puts people in bondage, okay? And they've got a chain around them, and the key has been thrown away. So our job, okay, is to protect and defend the gospel, protect and defend the liberty that we have, all right? Paul had said in many epistles, be careful that the dogs or those from without are going to creep in. They're going to start bringing, remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So we can't have a little bit of, oh, you, you better keep this part of the law, or, gee, you better read 20 minutes or something like that. And we know that even sincere people, all right, sincere people can even be, if you want to call it off a little bit or correct them. I know a number of grace teachers have said over the years, well, I started out preaching the law, and I changed. I, I began to read it, and I was wrong back then, or I was incomplete at best. Probably wrong is a better answer. Well, anyways, Paul said we have to be careful of these people. We don't want them to creep in. And, coming back to sincere believers, once in a while we don't always know the faith exactly. And I'll give you an example. I, I think it's Acts 18. I'm not sure. But anyways, Priscilla and Aquila 
and they kind of took Apollos in the house. He had preached and he had talked and he was doing a good job, but he needed to know the way a little bit more, if you want to call it specifically or expertly. I don't think it. I don't think it outlines what they taught him, but they said they taught him the way of God a little bit more effectively. Well, next week I'm going to take go back to Romans seven. I'm going to begin with verses twelve and thirteen. We're pretty much out of time today, but I just want to encourage you today. I think. If you listen to these scriptures and you listen to these teachings, I think they'll show you very, very much about why it's so difficult, or why I'm going to say difficult, why it's so dangerous to predict law, all right, or produce law, or focus on law, or browbeat people with law, or push it down throats, things like that. It's just flat out wrong, all right? So God bless you. I hope you can join me next week. Remember, Russ mentioned the website, GaryGriffinHagen.com, G-A-R-Y-G-R-I-F-F-E-N-H-A-G-E-N.com. I hope you can go there. We'd love to have you support the program. And again, look at the blog. It's got some great teachings. Well, listen, God bless you. hope to join you next week as we go into all the world. As we close today's program, just want to send out an invite to all of our listeners in the Salt Lake City area. If you'd like to meet Gary, he'll be at the Chuckarama on 400 South in Salt Lake City on December 3rd. That's Saturday night, December 3rd at 6 p.m. at Chuckarama in Salt Lake City.